so much for joining us for the Security Clearance Podcast. We're very excited to have David Brown joining us this month. David Brown is a space enthusiast, Star Wars fan, and writer based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He's also a contributor to clearancejobs.com where he has the distinction of writing some of our most read feature articles. So one of those features is on the very weighty topic of what kind of a security clearance the president gets. So I've invited him to join us here on the podcast to unpack that topic just a bit. So thank you again, David, for sharing your time with us. I'll just go ahead and jump right in. Is it really true the president does not have to get a security clearance in the traditional sense that you or I would? Yes, that is true. The president gets a security clearance from the American people by being voted into the highest office in the land. Uh, Moreover, uh, most security clearance policy that the United States has actually comes from the president's pen. If for no other reason than he, he doesn't have to apply for a clearance because... He's the one who, who decides that you have to apply for a clearance in the first place. Yeah, so it would be a little bit of a catch-22 if he was filling out the very documents that he kind of has oversight to create. On that note, why is it unpractical for the president to have to fill out an SF-86 and reveal all this personal information about himself the way, you know, again, a, an individual private citizen who was just applying for a clearance job would have to? During the presidential campaign, one of the big issues involved candidates releasing things like tax returns and and discussing things like uh, the various foundations that they run, what what sort of interactions they have with foreign governments and so on and so forth. That sort of stuff was vetted in a very public, very, very loud way in 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 the sort of way that you or I would never have to sort of go through it. So when it comes to actually conferring that clearance, by pulling the lever in the voting booth, we're saying, yes, this person has passed the test that you need to pass. Why this is important um, and why the president shouldn't have to actually apply for a clearance um, in in the conventional sense really has a lot to do with sort of the, just the institutional power of of the executive branch of the government. You don't want there to be secrets that the president can't access because that also means there are things that, for example, the military could keep from the president or the intelligence community could keep from the president. In the short term, whether or not you like the president, when you sort of look at the long-term timeline of how that might play out, if there are things that the president is not allowed to know, those sorts of bubbles of power within government can grow and eventually run into sort of, I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but like coup d'etat type situations. I mean, that's how those things happen. Yeah, so really it's a part of keeping kind of the executive branch, the checks and balances of government. And one of, you know, one of the ways they do that is that the president and even members of Congress don't have to go through that traditional background investigation process either. Exactly. So are members of Congress, is that kind of a similar, you know, thing? They don't go through that SF-86 kind of thing because we're expected kind of as citizens to be vetting them through the election process. And I know that's another article you wrote for us last year, kind of um, members of Congress who explicitly probably couldn't get a security clearance per se, but who can get access to certain information that they need as a member of Congress because we have voted them into office. Exactly. I, I dare say that there are some members of Congress that I, I shudder to think have access to, to the nation's secrets. The good news is that sort of institutionally in the United States Congress, there are mechanisms in place by which the congressional leadership and, 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 and the various hierarchy can keep you know, the, the low-ranking criminal who just got elected from 
whatever state. I'll say Louisiana because that's where I'm from, but I, I'm not saying that any of our congressmen are criminals that I know of. <laughs> oh, come on. Louisiana, isn't Louisiana the original home of the criminal congressman? We invented criminality in, uh, <laughs> in politics. I feel like I have money in freezers or something, something like that that's, come, that's ringing some bells. I don't know. That's right. That's right. That was, uh, that was quite the embarrassing revelation for everyone involved, especially the people who voted for him. Um, but, but yes, so, so Congress does have mechanisms in place to make sure that the new guy can't just go in there, find out the secrets at Area 51, and then put him on a personal blog. At the same time, Congress does have the authority to access the nation's secrets. And again, that's another check on the president's power. The president is allowed to keep secrets. The executive or the legislative branch is allowed to make sure that the secrets being kept are in line with the values of the United States of America and, and in line with our best interests. Yeah, so really, I mean, I think it, as, as folks who are voting, it's important for us to consider, you know, the importance of that vote and the person we vote for, you know, will have obviously kind of establishes policy, and that includes security clearance policy. But I know your article pointed to the fact that, you know, you get into these high-level offices and you are surrounded with people who have obtained a security clearance in the past, who know what those security clearance policies are, and the even the incentive for like a President Trump or a member of Congress to release classified information, it's not in their best interest, um, and it's obviously not in the interest of the United States. So there's there's a natural disincentive there for them to just go crazy and you know reveal all, all of the classified, all of the secrets that are out there. Is that right? Exactly. And if you're the president, what, the day that you come into office, it's important for you to know that the employees of the White House, the employees of the executive branch, that they have been cleared to talk about this stuff. You don't want to come into power immediate, immediately paranoid that, can that person know this? Well, no. The, the day you walk into the Oval Office, the, the, the men and women who are employed by the White House and, and the various agencies of the government, they know what they're talking about. Um, they can access the material, and they're trustworthy to a certain extent, I guess. We, we should all be on guard. Now, now, one thing worth noting is that the president's political appointees, the, pre- the people the president brings into his, his or her government, the president can confer on them a security clearance almost the way the pope can make someone a priest or a bishop or a cardinal. The president has that authority. At the same time, the president can take a security clearance away simply because, again, the president is at the top of the pyramid. The president is security policy, which is an interesting thing to consider. When we look at the, the people who sort of surround the president, even putting aside the current president, just look historically, you can say, wow, how in the world did this person get access to this kind of information, get access to this level of power? And the answer is, well, because the president said they could. Well, and that segues into, you know, that was another controversy in the first few days after um, Trump was elected. There were a lot of issues about his children getting security clearances. That was the first kind of security clearance headline, you know, after his election. And for me, as someone who works with the clearance process, I was like, well, of course they should if they are sitting in the White House on these meetings. Particularly his son-in-law was a part of his transition, was a was a very significant part of his campaign staff and then was a part of his transition team. It is kind of, for me, a no-brainer that he would get an interim clearance and would be put through for a security clearance if he's going to have any kind of an advisory role in the administration. 
And I would prefer that, that he fills out an SF-86 and he goes through a clearance process and he has to take an oath and, and do all that because I think sometimes going through that formality is a good thing for those advisors coming in. I think that for me, the controversy would have been if he's in that role and he's not getting an SF-86. But as you say, like the president gets to decide who goes through that process. And for me, as many people as we can get going through a formal, traditional Filling out an SF-86 is good as well. Right. I mean, you certainly, if someone's going to have access to secrets, they absolutely need to keep the rules of the game in place. If you are going to touch a document that is marked top secret, you need to have a top secret security clearance. Now, how that clearance was conferred upon you, that, that's almost irrelevant. And, and that's certainly a different discussion and a different debate. But the, but the notion that touch a level, to touch a document of a certain level, you have to have clearance for that level. We, we can't violate that sort of rule, and, and that's and that's why it's very important. Obviously, the president's family is going to be de facto employees of the White House, and they're going to be sitting in on these meetings. They need to be cleared. The the, the president's advisors, the president's military advisors, the president's foreign policy advisors, the president's economic advisors. They all need to know that they need they can give the president accurate advice, even though someone is in the room that. They don't necessarily know their their status, so to speak. They can speak comfortably knowing that the status is okay. Well, I mean, because, again, a security clearance, it confers rights on an individual to access, you know, classified information at a certain level. I mean, that's always a part of the nomenclature in our industry that there's actually no term security clearance. That's what we call it. It's actually eligibility. I mean, the policy all, all relates back to, you know, eligibility to access information at such and such level. And again, like say for the president, there are processes in place, obviously, through Congress to kind of check if they think he gets out of line and does something that he can't do, they can impeach him. <laughs> right? So what I mean, exactly. we know we know that for a clearance holder, you know, obviously there's the Defense Office of Hearing and, and Appeals and you can get incidents reported through J Pass and that kind of repercussion. So what would be the repercussions for a president if Congress decides, hey, he's doing something he shouldn't be? Well, I mean, if the president commits a high crime or misdemeanor, obviously he is eligible for impeachment. Now, if Congress decides, wow, the president is revealing an awful lot of important information about, uh, I don't know, uh, America's um, intelligence apparatus overseas or whatever, I'm just making that up, that, that's not illegal. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. The president, again, is the one who decides this is or is not a, an American secret. There are also there are all sorts of interesting scenarios you can kind of game and, and try to figure out well what would happen if what would happen if the president revealed the identities of um, covert covert operatives in foreign countries and and they got killed okay that seems to be an, an, an egregious violation of the power of the presidency is it a crime I don't know is it a crime of negligence or manslaughter I mean there are all sorts of interesting ways you can look at it but again that those secrets exist simply because the president says we need secrets. And indeed, the entire intelligence community exists for one reason. And that reason is to advise the president. So again, that's why he doesn't have a clearance. He needs to know these things. If he didn't need to know these things, we would have no intelligence community. Well, it's, it's been interesting already because, you know, just this morning I read that Trump was broadcasting his national security directives. And I guess from what I've, I've read so far, I just got into it this morning, he's the first president that's done that and published them to the Federal Register. I mean, we've had this issue of overclassification has been a huge issue over the past eight 
10, 12 years. And, and they talk about how traditionally to get access to national security directives, those come out a decade later in the former president's library. You know, they're not something that's like, hey, we're publishing to the Federal Register. And already the security experts are like, uh, was it an accident? Did did he just not realize what he was doing? Is this and you know is this unprecedented transparency? It's interesting because again, as you say, it's kind of you know the president typically has wide range to be very secretive about what he's doing. You know, even from policy, because what was announced there is that he's you know appointing certain people to the National Security Council and he's kind of putting some people on the back burner for the National Security Council. And I think there's a lot of misinformation where it's like most presidents don't even tell you who's, you know, who's sitting in on those meetings. And so far, you know, President Trump is is publishing that to the Federal Register. And again, whether um, that's something we'll see, kind of an unprecedented release of information. And again, that's not, you know, putting anybody's life in jeopardy, but it's definitely revealing more than we've been used to getting over the past eight years, where you kind of have to fight to get any information about what's coming out of the executive office when it comes to national security. Exactly. And it's sort of a Rorschach test. I mean, if, if you're predisposed to hate Donald Trump, when you see something like that, you're going to say, aha, he's incompetent, he's a fool. If you're predisposed to liking him, you're going to say, aha, he's transparent and open. And ultimately, you have to work with just the, the facts that we have. The fact is, this is something that to my knowledge, has never been done before. It has been done in the interest of openness and, and sunshine. I, I'm generally okay with it. Again, he, he didn't publish a list of the names of special activities division members of the CIA or anything like that. You know, it remains to be seen. If that is a regular thing that the president does throughout his administration, it would be sort of a refreshing amount of sunshine coming out of the Obama administration, which was, frankly, it was the most closed um, administration probably in my lifetime, um, and maybe ever. I think you'd have to reach back to the Nixon administration to find a, a White House that was so anti-sunshine. Yeah. So it remains to be seen. You know, we're going to be we're going to be we're going to see a lot of uh, comparisons and contrasts between what President Trump did versus what President Obama did versus what you know, President George W. Bush did, and, and so on and so forth. Going back, I think probably in our lifetimes. I don't know how old you are, but uh, Pre- President Clinton. Probably one of the, if, if transparency is your issue, President Clinton was very good for transparency. I'm, I've also been surprised in the in the sort of post um, George W. Bush administration, they've been surprisingly generous with the documents that they are they're releasing that they're um, having declassified and released under open records requests. How what President Obama does again, I'm very interested to see that, and and what President Trump does, that's it'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Well, you do have a very different communication style, and that's going to lead to different ways that presidential priorities, including security, are released. I've had a lot of friends, you know, definitely be like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? President Trump's going to tweet out the nuclear codes. And I'm like, well, first of all, I I don't think he's going to tweet out the nuclear codes. Second of all, he might tweet out a lot of things that you're not used to seeing from a president that you might deem sensitive or, you know, but once he tweets it out, I mean, he's, again, as the, as you've, you know, if if you've been telling us, he's the head of security policy, he's not tweeting out classified information as a person who creates it. Once he tweets it out, he pretty much is 
has given it the authority of declassifying it, whatever he sends out, through whatever means he sends out. It doesn't have to be published to the Federal Register to be an official exactly, statement. Exactly. I'm sure there are some congressional statutes with relation to nuclear weapons. I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that um, there's a whole lot of scholarship on what would happen if the president, I mean, there's a lot of scholarship on what would happen if the president decided to unilaterally unleash all of our nuclear weapons. What if he decided to release the nuclear codes? What, what would that do? Obviously, that would be a the, the end of the United States, but legally, how does that work? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But again, if the president says it, it's declassified. And a good example, if we go back to the uh, to President George W. Bush, before Bush was president, the Joint Special Operations Command was not formal, was never formally acknowledged by by the United States government. It would always be a, a team of soldiers wherever doing whatever. Um, but it would never, they would never say a team from JSOC did this. Um, JSOC sort of officially acknowledged uh, in a passing remark that. Uh, President Bush did, if I'm not mistaken, he was being interviewed and he said, was, and someone asked, was the Joint Special Operations Command responsible for whatever killing of whatever bad guy? And he said something effective, yeah, JSOC is awesome. And at that moment, the minute he said JSOC is awesome, JSOC officially existed. That, that, that secret disappeared. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the president's prerogative. President Trump likes to tweet a lot. He likes to talk. He likes to post things on social media. He likes to, I guess, sort of go toe to toe with various members of uh, or various members of the media establishment. The president knows more than we do with respect to the nation's secrets because the intelligence community literally walks into his office and says, "Here are these secrets." If he wants to tweet them, he can do that. If he says, "No, the New York Times is wrong about whatever foreign policy issue," well, not issue. Let's not look at it politically, but foreign policy fact. There is a distinct possibility it's because he knows that fact is wrong. But again, you get into sort of a gray area there when, and I've written an entire book about this on weaponizing secrecy, right? Um, secrecy can very easily be weaponized. So you can, you can strategically release secrets that benefit you and strategically withhold secrets that would benefit someone else. If you're the president and bin Laden's killed, it is in your best interest to leak out as much information that looks good for you, making a bold decision, sending in the team, the team having a harrowing firefight, and so on and so forth. That's in your best interest to release that information. I would argue is, is, is wrong and, and, and unethical, um, but it's legal. But it's one of those things where we have to be careful because we don't want to end up undermining sort of the, the classification policy of the United States by releasing things ill-considered, if that, that makes sense, and certainly releasing things for political gain. It's legal, but it's 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 trouble in the long in the long term. So is there anything else you had? Any other insights or, or nuggets about the presidential security clearance process or authority on security um, well, clearance issues we should discuss? I, I would only bring up one um, one thing, and I did mention this in the article, and I think it's it's worth noting because as Americans, we have to put an awful lot of our private lives on official federal documents. And one thing that is comforting is that the President of the United States is not allowed, here's the one thing that I'm aware of that the President is not allowed to access, and that is uh, census records. So when you fill that stuff out, only the Census Bureau by law is allowed to read those, read that paperwork. 
I think I think um, the Census Bureau's exact quote was, "No court of law, not even the President of the United States, can find out your answers." And and that that sort of the statute of limitations on your census records is 72 years, and during that time, you are the only person who can access your own personal records. Presidents can access tax returns, but they can only access tax returns having sort of put that request in writing and personally signed the requests. So there's no secretly calling the IRS and saying, slip that we know of. There's no column saying, slip me David Brown's tax returns. I want to laugh at him for a while. But um, certainly it's comforting to know that there are limitations and and for these things involving our, our personal lives, those limitations exist. I like that. I agree. No, that was a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, thank you again for joining us for this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. You can visit news.clearancejobs.com for more on presidential security clearances, security policy, and more. Thanks. Bye-bye.